the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, we talk Biden, abortion, and guns with David Harsanyi of The Federalist. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Really happy today to welcome David Harsanyi. You may have read his stuff in a number of places, Wall Street Journal, The Federalist, of course, Town Hall. You see him uh, in a lot of places. David, I appreciate you coming on. You have some really interesting takes on current events and things going on in D.C., which is my passion right now. So uh, I want to start with the most probably the hottest topic of the day, which is abortion, which I'm not sure it really should be the hottest topic of the day, but it is. Um, what have you sort of, what's your overall sense of how this, obviously the overturning of Roe v. Wade made this topic explode, but your overall sense of how it's being discussed and and where the, the fault lines are? <laughs> well, it's never rationally discussed, right? <laughs> um <laughs> I don't think at least. And I've um, say I'd evolved uh, my opinion on the issue over maybe the last decade to being far more pro-life than I initially was. But um, I think because Roe v. Wade was decided, a lot of pro-choice people could simply say, listen, this is a this is a right and we don't really have to discuss this. So I think that they've sort of stopped for the most part, arguing about abortion itself, you know, the, the the scientific aspect of it, the moral aspect of it, and so on. And I think it shows somewhat in their in their the the rust shows somewhat in their in their arguments uh, once it was overturned. I don't think that it's been it's going to be the 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 issue they believe it is for midterms now, or maybe even the next presidential election, simply because I don't think it changes for most people. Nothing really changes, even though growing up, for instance, I thought that if Roe v. Wade was overturned, it would immediately mean that abortion was outlawed everywhere. Right. Right. <laughs> that, yeah, I think that's what a lot of people thought. Yeah, absolutely. And when that doesn't happen, I think that the anger subsides a bit for most people, especially with everything else going on economically. And uh, so I don't think it's going to be as big an issue as most people think. I am happy that Roe v. Wade was overturned, one, because I just simply don't believe it's a constitutional issue. Uh, and, and, and two, because I think that now, you know, the debate is going to, <laughs> though maybe I'm being a, a bit uh, starry eyed here, I think the debate's going to actually improve as we go on and, and, and that perhaps there'll be more uh, compromise on the issue moving forward. Well, it has to improve the debate uh, it, because 
<laughs> facts are things that are pesky and and they're out there and i think people have to hone their arguments so much more you know sharply i'm i'm interested in something you said early though you said you've you've evolved on this issue from where to where um i wouldn't I would say that, I, like many people, I think I just didn't really deeply think about it very much, especially as a young person, you know, um, and maybe this is just men. I shouldn't speak for women. Maybe women think about it a little more deeply um, and being more um, libertarian minded, especially when I was young. Uh, the the idea that a person should be able to control their body had a lot of weight with me ideologically. You know what I mean? Um, but I think it's far more complicated that, than that. I think it's a very unique issue in that I think there are two individuals who are who are entwined in in in, in both biological ways and ideological ways when we're talking about this. So, um, but you know, very much like the issue of pronouns and things like that, uh, I think that we there are objective realities in the world, and we can't just simply say something is alive or not you know, based on how we feel or say that someone is a woman or a man based on how we feel. So when I thought about it more in that sense as an objective reality, when does something start living and also personal experiences with my own children, one of them was born, you know, very prematurely, um, that we can't just simply uh, pretend that something is, isn't a thing or alive or, and give it its due, you know, and give that idea and that reality its due, uh, process, as it were, in 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 both in a legal, in a political and legal sense, but also in a moral sense. It's interesting you mentioned having a premature child, and i I hope we can assume that your child is doing well. Yeah, as she's as tall as I am now, so you know. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. So uh, so she's done very well. I have a very good friend who is I can't name him, but he is uh, quite a famous man in America who also works with a children's hospital and has seen very premature babies grow up to be productive human beings in society. And it really affected his outlook on this issue. So it's interesting to me that you both have kind of had this experience with it. I I was taken aback by a photograph and I don't think it was doctored. It was part of a March on Washington. A very pregnant looking woman wrote on her belly you know, her pregnant belly, not a human yet. In other words, that this child she was carrying was not yet considered human. And I I just, I found that shocking. To me, we we have this spectrum, right? The time of conception to to the time of full term. Not all babies, such as your daughter, get to full term. They're born early. But somewhere along that spectrum, we have to honor that life. And I'm a, I'm a, pro-choice person with exceptions. So do you hope, as you said, the debate is going to get a little sharper, that that's where we start with this time frame of when it should be the woman's choice and when she becomes responsible for another human life? Well, I I think that picture, if it's real, and I think it is because we've seen other similar sorts of, you know, statements by, by by people is is sort of the manifestation of politics as religion you know like you, you stop thinking and you just want to own the cons or own the libs and you just are, get ridiculously ridiculously extreme about whatever you're talking about um so i think that that's basically 
a, a function of, of that kind of thinking, I hope, because it's just completely immoral what, what that woman did. And there was another picture of a woman saying, I wouldn't force the, these on you with her two kids next door. I felt pretty bad for those kids. But oh my um, goodness, yeah, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, as to your question, I, I, I don't think the debate's going to get better everywhere. Obviously, there are always going to be extremes and people are always going to get very emotional about this. But I do think that if we're talking about uh, viability, for instance, you know, which which has been the cutoff point, it's supposed to be the cutoff point for Roe, that to me is is moving in the right direction, at least. And I'm not going to pretend my, my my hope is that abortion becomes, you know, there are fewer of them, uh, that there are none after viability, viability, unless they're saving the mother's life, and then even fewer before and that it's a stigmatized thing to do. That's just my opinion. I think it's pretty barbaric that we allow 10,000 probably children who are near viability or viable to be aborted every year. Um, but I think if we're talking about the science and by the way, viability keeps getting earlier and earlier, you know, the the science is going to, to get better. The way we view uh, fetuses is going to become more sharper and more human in many ways. So I think that if that's what the debate is about, that's great. And I think you will see that happening in the, in the middle, right. Meaning in the political middle, um, not so much on the extremes. The extremes continue on just about every issue to weight us down and they, they get used, right? They get, they use them to raise money. They use them as scare tactics, these extremes. Do you think the middle can outweigh those extremes when it comes to elections, when it comes to trying to have civil discourse, sane discourse about these issues or are the extremes too weighty at this point? I should also say quickly that I don't think there's anything intrinsically good about being in the middle of something just, you know, as the default position. So I'm not trying to okay. say that, meaning I don't think saying, oh, well, I'm going to cut the baby in half all the time. Cut, you know, I probably shouldn't abuse that analogy here, but, you know, is not always the right position. Like I am pro-life. Right. I think the pro-life position is the right one, et cetera. I think when we speak about the middle, we speak about sort of the rhetoric and the way that we discuss politics. Uh, I definitely think it weighs us down when you have someone saying that this is not a life when there's a nine month old baby in her or um, on the other side, you know, what, whatever issue I'd have to come up with one. But so I do think it weighs, weighs us down. I don't know that it's any different than it used to be. I, I, I think that uh, we just have a movement among journalists and among many of our institutions that have gone to extremes, and that is different. So I don't see that changing in the near future. In other words, you're, you're seeing journalists heavily to one end of the argument and not the other. Is that I want to make sure I'm understanding you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think that the, the change is that we've always – I, I think that there's always been extremes out there. I think that what's happened, though, and obviously I'm speaking from a right wing, you know, or, con, you know, conservative, classical liberal perspective on this. I think that what what has happened is that many of our institutions and are and, and that that includes journalistic institutions, for instance, but also cultural ones um, have become far more extreme in their in their views. So it it makes it seem like that's the norm, but it's not. I give you, you know, actually now I'm undermining my own point about that. I guess people aren't as extreme. Maybe they're even more extreme than, than that. Like for instance, uh, I'm just going to throw this out. Uh, Governor DeSantis, you know, and his education policy and, you know, don't say gay and all of that, that debate, 
you know, if you had just read the papers or watched uh, cable news or most cable news, you would have thought that it was the most radical thing you ever heard. But when they actually right. poll the issue, everyone agrees with him. So yeah. it's kind of distorted our reality of how the debate goes. When you're on Twitter all day, as unfortunately I am, you'd think that the world is coming to an end. And then I noticed yeah. this weekend I'm out and about. Who cares about my political views? We're all pretty nice to each other. We 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 just live in in this in this world that isn't as bad as I think that maybe um, our 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 debate, our political debate, might might lead people to believe. It, I I'm with you on this Twitter thing. I find that when I take a Twitter vacation, I am more relaxed. I feel like the world is more sane. I go to my son's baseball game or my daughter's soccer game, and everyone's getting along. And no one seems to ask or care what your feeling is on abortion or guns or any of that. And I wish we could live more like that. I, I'm here in Minnesota, where in the last few days, something that has gone on involving Black Lives Matter and a shooter inside an apartment building. You probably have heard of this already, but this is another example we saw the woman whose apartment was shot into by this young man. She had she was in there cooking for her two kids. She had to call 911, which at one point a Minneapolis uh, city council person had called a place of privilege being able to call 911. This woman is clearly not privileged. She was being shot at through her apartment walls. Bullets came through by this young man who lived adjacent to her. She had to call 911. She and her children had to be extricated from there. There was a six-hour standoff, and finally this alleged shooter was taken out by a SWAT team. Now Black Lives Matter steps in, and they say, oh, this is just another police killing of a black man. Meanwhile, the woman shows up, and she tells them, this is different. This guy was armed. He was shooting at me and my children. And and they're telling her, oh, she's having a moment. Let's let's let her gather herself to become sane again. This seems to me to be an example of where a movement like Black Lives Matter might get chipped away at. Uh, what do you see there? Well, yeah, I mean, I think they've been chipped away at. They initially were pretty popular. I don't know exactly what the polling was. And then later they were they're pretty unpopular or very unpopular. Um, and that's because. To them, you know, they need to generate this kind of anger, whether it's it's appropriate or, or, or rational or justified or not. And this seems like one of those cases. Um, it is like people divide themselves like pro-police and, 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 you know, anti-police and this sort of thing. I mean, every one of these situations is different. Sometimes there's yeah. a legitimate reason to be mad at the police. And sometimes it's a justified shooting, which that's how we should look at it. Um, yes. You know, they... <laughs> trying to uh trying to sort of i saw that woman yelling at those those folks and they were just like treating her like she was an idiot and meanwhile you know with criminality on the rise with with people feeling like they're in danger and that they're losing control of their cities it just does not seem like a smart way for black lives matter matters to act if they're you know and maybe if they have justified reasons to be mad about certain incidences when you do this you sort of undercut yourself across the board and i think that's what's happening here but and i also would add in in a more broader sense i think that when people i'm an atheist by the way but when i say this people get mad at me but i think that there's a lack of sort of communal uh 
faith and things like that, you're always looking for, for some, your, a new religion. And, and when you have something like this, you're always looking for reasons to practice that religion, whether they're yeah. there or not. And this looks like an incident. Uh, this seems to be an incident like that. Oh, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. We're talking with David Arsanyi, and you should read his stuff if you don't already. We're going to talk about the polls and how they look for Biden and if the administration is fooling itself on whether or not he's a viable candidate coming up next. I really do try to eat healthy. I swear I really do. But the CDC says I should be getting six cups of vegetables and fruits every day, every single day. I don't have the time or the want <laughs> to to get all of that into my diet. So here's what I want. I want a simple bit of nutrition with results so powerful that when I go in for my next checkup, my doc says, oh my gosh, keep doing what you're doing because it's doing great. So that's why I take Field of Greens every single day. Field of Greens is powered with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, not just any old fruits and vegetables, but the ones that you really need, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. And that's what I need to stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast. If you're like me, you'll have more energy, you'll feel healthier, your skin will look better. And you know what? You honestly can't help but lose some weight if you're like me. Join me and take Field of Greens too. And to help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order and another 10% off if you subscribe for recurring orders. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code TAFOYA, T-A-F-O-Y-A. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code TAFOYA, Field of Greens, promo code TAFOYA. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, I'll read this first paragraph from David Arsanyi's piece from July 15th. For Biden, polls are probably worse than they seem. He writes, President Biden has a miserable 33% job approval rating, according to the New York Times-Siena College poll, making him one of the least popular first-term presidents in history. 64% of Democrats say they want another candidate in the 2024 presidential race. But when Biden was asked about that, David, of course, he said, hey, Jack, the uh, polls say 92% of Democrats would vote for me. I don't think he's going to run. Do you? Oh, I don't know. Some days I do and some days I don't. I, um, the problem, I think, is that, you know, when, when Hillary was, going, was running in 2008, for 2008, there, were, there was a charismatic person in the wings, Obama, who, who was a legitimate candidate that people were excited about in a way right. they weren't excited about her. 
I'm not sure that that candidate really exists here. Uh, maybe Bernie Sanders would be the most popular Democrat, you know, after after Biden. Wow. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. So I, I don't. Well, you know, know Gavin Newsom of California, the governor of California is sort of out there. I to me, anyone from California is a little bit suspect right now, given the state of things there. But would you see him as that charismatic person in the wings? I don't find him that charismatic. I think you have a to Women Just, seem to find him handsome. I'm not among okay. them, but that's what yeah. they say. I mean, yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, um, I think that he would have to probably challenge Biden in the end in the same way Carter was challenged by uh, Ted Kennedy, for instance. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's it's just the incumbent, especially the president as a bully pulpit has so much power to dictate things. It's going to be very difficult to knock him off if he wants to run. I don't know if he's going to run. I just, if I had to bet, I'd say yes. I'd say Biden will really? run again. Yeah, really interesting. It's just I, I mean, we see him diminishing every day. And to think two years from now, how much farther that could go. My projections suggest it's it's certainly not going to get better. It's not going to improve. Uh, Is Pete Buttigieg someone that you would see as viable? The guy is a complete lightweight and everyone in the world knows it. Um, The thing with Biden that you, you, you mentioned that is very important is that the number one reason, like independents have basically given up on him. Young people have basically given up on him. Um, and the reason they cite the most often is that he has law is that he's too old, by which they mean that he's law, you know, that he's incompetent or that he's not up for the job. And as you mentioned, that doesn't get better with age. You don't, you know, that's not something you rebound from at 80. So I think that's going to be a big problem for him. Uh, but yeah, I I think that, you know, I mean, you have, you have a lot of people probably telling him how great he is, (laughs) you know, in his administration, these people live in a bubble in many ways. They're incredibly, uh, they have incredible egos to want to be in that position. Biden has spent his career being unimpressive. He's a, yeah, he was an accidental yeah. center, senator. Uh, he, his career was uh, saved by Barack Obama. The only reason he was able to run was that he's, per, he's perceived was perceived as this moderate candidate and the only person who can beat Donald Trump among those running. And he did, but you know, um, he was hidden basically. So people didn't understand what he was about. They don't understand that he has no principles that he would take on the furthest left position he could. And now, you know, they're paying a price. The other thing that was hidden when he was running was the Hunter Biden laptop story. And that continues to get more and more interesting. And I think dangerous for this administration every day. How much do you see that becoming a factor for this whole Biden administration? It matters. I don't know how big a factor it will be. The thing is, it's not about Hunter Biden. I mean, it is about Hunter Biden, but it's not about what Hunter Biden did or that he's a crack addict or that he has problems. It's about the connection between his business dealings, leveraging the power of his dad, and did his dad benefit from it? There is a lot of there are a lot of clues that he might have, and that seems like something worthy of investigation, which we have not seen. But at some point, if the media, as it seems they have, have turned against Biden because they don't want him, they think he's ineffective, they don't want him to run, they might take up this story uh, with more vigor or with any vigor, actually. So we'll see. Conservative media really doesn't have, they can do some of the work, but they don't really have the resources to, to, to really dive into a story like this. You're going to need you know, a team of reporters. 
So we'll see. I, I it, it could it could become a, a quite relevant story. Well, it, you know, the the news we're getting here in the last 24, 48 hours is these correlations between the times that Hunter Biden was in China, in Russia, in Ukraine, wherever, visiting with these companies. And then within the next 48 to 72 hours was at the vice president's residence or at the White House. So to to imagine that the president wasn't discussing any of these business deals and, again, may have been benefiting I mean, that's it seems like the New York Post is devoting a, a pretty good amount of time. I don't know if that's if that's enough. You, what do you make of what they've been able to uncover? I argued at the time that they're, you know, when they first released the Hunter tapes, that they had engaged in journalism that was as ethical as any other kind of, you know, that we've seen. They were more ethical than the journalism we saw for four years where single sources, anonymous sources were used to. Uh, to attack the president. I'm not saying don't attack the president. I'm saying do good journalism if you're going to yes. attack the president. Yeah, and yes. um, I am for I'm for going after those in power as a journal, you know, a journalist should do that. They should do it the right way. And I think that the Post did. Uh, it's not just, by the way, that that, uh, you know, he, that that uh, Hunter showed up, you know, after these meetings with Joe. Hunter was on the plane in 2013 on the VP plane on on Air Force Two going to China to meet with these people. And Biden was yeah. on that plane. The, the notion that they didn't discuss any business is just it's not something any skeptical professional journalist would ever believe. They would yeah. try to figure out why, you know, how they're lying. And um, even the uh, Obama White House was worried about Joe and Hunter there. You know, there was a story in, in before they thought Joe was going to run for president, like you know, whatever year it was, I forget, maybe 2013 again, that um, that the Obama White House was had told Joe and, and, and approached him about this. And yet, you know, there's no follow up now because he's president. It's it's very frustrating to see such weak journalistic effort out there such uh, uh, biased and weak. I, the, I Even when I watch. The White House press briefings, I get a little depressed because very few people really push on the issues and they accept these answers that are, to me, unacceptable. And I, I get frustrated by that. Do you? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not bias anymore. You know, I worked at the Denver Post for years and I would notice that people viewed the world through a certain prism and that's how they wrote about the world. And that's, you know, some of it purposeful bias and some of it just organic bias, I guess you could call it. Now I, I view journalism as corrupt. I'm not saying every reporter is yeah. corrupt. I'm saying that they're activists and there's a big difference yes. between bias and activism. I used to be able to, even as a kid, sort of detect bias and then read around it or understand what the euphemism was. But now it's no longer even that. It's just let's shut down voices that we don't like. Everything yes. you don't like is misinformation. Um, here's what you need to know. You don't need to know about this. There are journalism professors out there who run journalism schools at NYU and elsewhere who basically say you should not even give Republicans the co any coverage or don't even you know give their point of view. That's that's dangerous in a in a, in a, in a uh, yes in it a is free country yeah yes it is. And the other day I was trying to retweet something that I found really interesting and I was not allowed to. It, the post was up there on Twitter, but it said you are not allowed to like or retweet this post. It had to do with COVID. I found that terrifying. I thought, yeah. I felt like I, I felt like I was sort of put in a little Twitter prison box, un, unable to 
say, look at this. This is interesting to, to the people who follow me. And I found that uh, it was really quite shocking to me. It's the first time I've seen that, but I'm sure it's not the first time it's happened. What, how, how do we, we can't sustain this, can we? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, Facebook banned people from saying for a year from even discussing that the, that the that the the COVID might have come from a, a, a you know a scientific facility in Wuhan, and then it turned out that 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 those in power actually had thought that or or suspected that from the very beginning. This is not uh, Facebook's a private company. I don't want to make them do things, but so it's a complicated problem for me because I don't like compelling people to do things, but. If it's the First Amendment doesn't exist because it's called the First Amendment, it exists because there's an underlying fundamental belief that we should have freedom to to express ourselves and to debate things, ugly things, things that are untrue, whatever, um, in an, in open forums, and we and we don't really have that right now. So it's it's a real big big problem for us in a free nation because these gatekeepers work in, in concerted effort, and there's very little pushback from anyone. And when when they do push back, they're simply smeared as Russian Russian spies or whatever, and it's very difficult to have any kind of real debate anymore. That's one of my biggest uh, laments right now as an American, and and part of the reason that I started this podcast. I know I'm one of many many podcasts out there, but damn it, um, this stuff needs to be said. More with David Harsanyi after this. Well, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold has been on the rise. Are you aware of this? Now, in the meantime, gas prices are insane. The stock market is so volatile. Inflation is the worst it's been in about four decades. I mean, this is not good. And then add to that the war with Russia and Ukraine that we only hope ends sooner than later. The markets do not like this instability, but the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. So here's my recommendation. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. You want to do this proactively because if you recall 2008, those who invested in gold saw huge gains and other people simply lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can give you all the advice you need on the options you have for investing in gold and silver. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. So here's the phone number. It's 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. Or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Back with David Harsanyi. One of the more popular complaints for the contemporary left is that the Constitution subverts democracy for minority rule. This is from your July 8th piece. What prompted you to write this one? Well, there has been for many years, probably from 2015, but even before, there's been widespread complaints on the left, on the progressive left mostly, but now among almost all Democrats that that we're not, you know, that claims that we're not a democratic country. We're not a democracy because states have, you know, like Wyoming have two senators, just like California, or that the electoral college exists or that the Supreme Court exists. 
essentially their problem is with the constitution. I am not a fan of democracy, actually. Um, I know that people or elites make fun of those who say, you know, we're not a democracy, but we're not. And uh, I've I wrote a book many years ago about this. I, I think that democracy unchecked by a strong constitution, unchecked by fundamental rights, leads to a different kind of tyranny. It's a tyranny of the, of the majority. And that's why we have states. That's why we like local control. We want to, that's why we have individual freedom so that people can live the lives the way they want, not the way you want. But these people, now that they have power, they want centralized government from DC. They want New York and California controlling uh, the country. They want the Supreme Court, which exists as a counter majoritarian institution to give in to poll numbers, which by the way, like, you know, I'm not even, you know, we don't even know if they're right because pollsters we can't even trust anymore. So, or, you know, or, but even if we could trust them, it's an imperfect way to judge sentiment usually it, because sentiment's more complicated than that. Um, they want to destroy the Supreme Court and delegitimize it. So my problem with all of that is that essentially their problem is the Constitution. It's not anything else. The Constitution does not allow for majoritarianism. And uh, that's their main problem. So, you know, that's that's my main problem with them. Yeah. Well, it was beautifully encapsulated by one Wanda Sykes appearing on a late night show when she said, the problem is all those people in the middle, like those of us in L.A. and New York, we're paying for everything. So know your position, she said to these people in the middle. It was astounding, the, the lack of understanding of the Constitution. But I fear, David, that it's not being taught like basic civics. I don't think are making their way to the classroom anymore. And I don't know how much Wanda Sykes is paying attention, but that's just not the way it works. How do I, I guess my, my question for you would be, how do we battle this? Cause people do think it's, you know, the popular vote should matter. That's not what this country was built on. This is a democratic Republic. We always hear how uh, this president or that president lost the popular vote, which does not exist. <laughs> you can't lose something that doesn't exist. No one runs right. for that. If Donald right. Trump was running for the popular vote, he would have been in California the whole time. And that's why right. we don't have that sort of system. States agreed to come together to unite. It wasn't the reverse. So, yeah, that drives me crazy. Uh, when, when, when people say we the people, they don't understand that what they meant was the individual. And, that, you know, it doesn't mean that the individual is selfish. It means that we want people to be able to live freely under these rights that we have. So how do we co- and, and I agree with you, by the way, on civics, civic education. Obviously, that's a problem for young people. I, I saw it firsthand the way it's taught. But the problem I have with that is that the people who are educated on civics are even worse. I mean, it's the Harvard professor who's who's terrible. Right. He knows civics. Right. It's the it's the politician. It's who is who is who's the most destructive on that front. And he knows civics. He just doesn't care or he doesn't like it. So I don't know how to combat it. That's the thing. I just make my arguments. If people want to listen, that's great. But uh, I mean, we need people with with larger voices to do that as well. Um, And we're and we're and we're, you know, there aren't many. So that's that's the problem. That's or or maybe there aren't many willing to speak up. I think there's a big uh there's such a a want and a need for courage right now to be able to speak up and speak about these issues and not be afraid of being canceled or being fired or being whatever having i think courage is is just 
I don't know where it is, but I, I would like to give people more courage. That's a, that's a reason I like to amplify a voice like yours. You're, you say things that are very straightforward and sane. And uh, so it does, I, I want to say do it doesn't you, take any it doesn't take any courage for me to do it because I won't be canceled or fired. Probably. I mean, maybe I'll be canceled one day for something. Who knows? But. You know, I have a job where I get to do this, but a person who is at a you know big company, that person could lose his job and his livelihood and his insurance and his future or her future. So to me, yeah, that takes courage for them to do it, but it doesn't take much yeah. courage uh, for me. And, and the second point I quickly wanted to make was, you know, I'm not a Donald Trump fan, though I think his presidency had had quite a few good moments, actually, policy wise, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. um, but but the thing that I think he did do was give people some more courage um, to fight basically totally the agree. way that the left does. So in my life, I've noticed that people on the right are always scared where at a newspaper, wherever I was in the world. And I lived in many very liberal areas. The conservatives are always scared to speak up. They're going to be yelled at. <laughs> you know, they're going to lose friends. But I never noticed left-wingers being scared to speak up. They're never scared of losing friends. They're never scared of letting it be known what they believe. And I think that maybe Trump changed that dynamic in the country a bit simply because of his personality. And obviously, it doesn't take courage for a billionaire to speak out either. But I think he gave other people some courage. He, he, he gave a voice to those people who were tired of being told that they were all of those evil names that the left likes to call conservatives. The term conservative is often looked at and looked down upon as though you're some sort of evil, racist, homophobe, anti-LGBTQ, all of these things lumped into one human soul. That, that's what they call conservatives. I, it's, but I think you're right. I think Donald Trump spoke for a lot of those people who were so frustrated and so tired of being told to shut up and listen and not able to voice even the slightest bit of conservatism. I, I don't, if he ran again, could he beat Joe Biden a second time around in a, in a, in a rematch? Do you think? Um, I don't make, I don't make hard predictions of these things because I thought Trump would lose. I thought Trump would lose for sure, and yeah. I even bet my good friend Molly Hemingway that that he would and lost. So I don't do that anymore because I was mocked <laughs> after that. But I will say he can beat him. I mean, we're talking about an incredibly unpopular president who has essentially failed. Even if you don't blame him for the things he's failed at, if a president promises to fix those things and takes credit if they are fixed, then he deserves to take the knocks for when they aren't. And in almost every way imaginable, he was unprepared for the, for the moment. So I think, yeah, I think, I think that Donald Trump could beat him. I think DeSantis could beat him. I think almost any, uh, you know, mainstream Republican could beat him. You never know how these things turn out, but yeah, he could lose yeah. for sure. Well, I think the midterms obviously will tell us a lot about where this country's collective mind is. Uh, but in the meantime, I hope people will continue to read you. And, uh, you know, you say it doesn't take courage. I disagree. I think that anyone who who puts their name in a byline that a lot of people might disagree with, you know, it it takes it takes courage. Um, so 
give yourself a little bit of that. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I I think I'm just, I like being contrarian, so I don't mind it very much. And I don't, you know, we, we, and I appreciate very much what you said, but you know, we, we throw around courage and hero and things like that quite often in in political discourse. You shouldn't have to be a hero to speak up in America, you know, and, uh, and, and if that you have to be is a problem, right? So for the, for the average person and, um, so, but I, I, I do appreciate uh, the kind words. That's a really important point that you just made. If, if, if you have to be called courageous for just speaking your mind, we're not in the place that we were supposed to be, that this country was supposed to be in. And uh, I, I'm sure I was grammatically incorrect there in the way I phrased that, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the point needs to be made that this should not take courage to just speak up about what you believe. Um, so, Anyway, continue to write good stuff. I'll continue to read it. I hope people will follow you, David Arsanyi. Thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days? I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we want to go back to kind of the basics really where diversification has always been key. And, and we hear it, we've been told it ad nauseum, you know, diversify, diversify, and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback, they're in trouble. Diversity means asset class diversity as well. You know, some real estate, um, some precious metals. These are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially. And, and, and we know that they happen. They happen continuously and they recur. So that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because... It takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, Anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered an alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in, in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that 
the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitory. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold and this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, in the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why legacy precious metals is the place to go? I'm, I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I, I, I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is, is I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We've gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's, we see that. We see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is, is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008 and I know a lot of people mm. do. And it, 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 you know, that was a crash and there've been other crashes, but why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. 
Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's it's the safe place, right? When, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. We can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use eight percent. That means everything costs you eight percent more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation. But we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year, that in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're, they're juggling an economy and the stock market. And that was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, no. that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver, and you can contact them as well. LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them. See what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com